Well, thank you for the scripture reading. Thank you for our time of worship today. And thank you for being here. Good morning, Moody Church. If you have your Bible, hopefully you'll be able to follow along with me in Matthew chapter 6. You've already heard the text read. Uh, we're going to walk through that text together. My name is Ed Stetzer. I'm the interim teaching pastor here at uh, Moody Church. We've been walking through the gospel of Matthew, and in doing so, we are kind of building on well, the verses and the passages that come before. So I would exhort you, you can watch online at moodychurch.org. Some of you are already worshiping with us online, but these things do build on one another, right? So I actually read this passage we're going to talk about today multiple times and actually changed the focus of my message as I did. But let me encourage you that as you read through the passage, sometimes you can even read that beforehand. For example, the Sermon on the Mount's not that long, just a few chapters. You can read it uh, maybe once a week before we come to church together. But as I read this passage, originally I was sort of following the theme that we talked about last time. And because right now, Matthew's in the process of explaining to us or writing out or recording Jesus' words, and Jesus' words are addressing some of the customs of kind of visual righteousness that he's teaching the people a better way. There are three uh, common Jewish practices that he's addressing, and he's saying to them, well, you know, I, I, it's not about, about uh, public prayer. We're going to see fasting. It's not about almsgiving, where you're doing this in public in a, in a hypocritical way. So Jesus is actually teaching about the motive and the desire of the heart of his disciples. He, he wants them and us to, 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 to not be afraid to pray in public, for example. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Uh, but the, really, he's reminding them that the motive is more important than the action. And at that time, the people that he was critiquing often had the action without the motive. Now, in this section, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, Jesus actually is uh, systematically and logically addressing the motive behind three major forms of religious piety in that day in Judaism, right? Almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. He's addressing them, right? He says, um, if you're going to do this, and you're going to do it in a hypocritical way, and you're praying, if you're going to give in a hypocritical way, and you're going to pray in a hypocritical way, and you're going to fast in a hypocritical way, that that's not acceptable. And other than that, it's all good, he's basically saying. So, so we remember in Matthew 5, 16, it wasn't that long ago, Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father is in heaven. So it's not that Jesus is saying you can't pray. I mean, he was, this was not a Bill Birchie rebuke because Bill just prayed uh, in front of us. I mean, if it was, trust me, I would find the way to apply it. But instead, it's specifically dealing with the motive of the heart that's more interested in showing before others than humbling ourselves before God. Now again, we're going to see this week in particular that your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. Your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. Now what Jesus is teaching them is really radically different from the practice of the day, right? Our actions and the intentions behind our actions Right, can indeed and should point to a watching world. There's a Father who's glorious and worthy of praise, and in this we find true satisfaction. But this is kind of radically different than the religiosity of the day. But it does directly relate to our understanding of God as Father. See, the fatherhood of God understood in through the Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to, I want you to be on the lookout here, how Jesus references God as Father in today's text. Let me read it again. We've already read it once, but I want you to listen, because as I read it over and over again in preparation, 
Uh, let's, let's listen to the word Father. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They'll think they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Here's the reality. Your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. Now, we're going to look at this and go through this passage, remembering that Jesus had said to them earlier in Matthew 5.20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's using the word righteousness a little differently than the way Paul does in the letters of the New Testament, but he's talking about the kind of Christian living, the kind of kingdom living that comes out of rightly knowing Him. So there are four things I want us to glean from this today, and we'll take a look at them one at a time. Number one, self-centered faith receives a temporary reward. Remember, your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. And so Jesus speaks and He says, and when you pray, you must not pray, but must not be like the hypocrites. So this is right from the passage, when you pray, verse lays out here, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now why does that matter? Well, because he's not saying you shouldn't pray, he's saying when you pray. He didn't say don't pray, he didn't say stop praying, but he's saying don't practice your righteousness before others to be seen by them. Just last time we talked about this in Matthew 6.1. It said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So this whole section, right, chapter 6 deals with don't give to get your reward because people see you. Don't pray to get your reward because people see you. Don't fast to get your reward because people see you. But the, he'll go, kind of go on a little bit of a, uh, a discourse about prayer. We're going to start that, and that's going to be a wonderful series of our next few weeks. So, so God's telling them don't obey for the wrong reason, right? Again, remember in Matthew's gospel, righteousness means obedience to God's will. So Jesus is instructing his followers that there's an obedience to God's will, but it has to be done correctly with the right motives. He tells them not to obey for the wrong reasons, and that wrong reason might be to show off their obedience to others. Now, I've got to tell you, I was uh, thinking this week about I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm a Baptist, and I was raised a Catholic. Now, this is significant because one of those things that both of those groups are remarkably good at is guilt. <laughs> so I've got it coming and going, and so, um, so when I look at kind of my own upbringing, I do see that very often I am naturally inclined to do things out of guilt. Now, the reality is, is that in doing so, we can sort of appease the guilt inside of us but ultimately, it doesn't change our understanding of who God is. Now, Jesus tells His followers not to be driven by anything than a father relationship. He tells His, fo he tells his followers not to practice their righteousness in front of others, and some people have taken that to mean that people can't pray in front of others, and that's not it at at all, right? It's to be seen by others. That's the motivation. To be seen by others is the motivation, right? Don't do it like that to be like the hypocrites. Now, again, um, one of the reasons we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew is the Gospel of Matthew is written to the older brother. 
Remember the older brother in the uh, parable of the prodigal son, kind of the more religious one. Can I just tell you, at Moody Church, we're kind of the more religious one. Right now, for the last, uh, about a year and a half ago, almost two years now, I moved to uh, the Chicagoland and soon after started serving as your, uh, your interim teaching pastor, which by the way, this summer I will have been your interim teaching pastor more than two of your actual pastors were the pastors of this church. Um, some of you are aware, you know, Harry Ironside and Warren Wearsby, but there's usually a sacrificial lamb between them that goes about 17, 18 months that barely makes the history books. Um, but uh, when, I, when I came here, I came from the uh, American South. I came from Nashville where religious practice was more normal and more evident and more, more common than perhaps it ultimately is in the Chicagoland area. But at Moody Church, we have a long history and a proud history, and not, that's not bad to be proud of what God has done, but the challenge is, is sometimes as religiosity takes hold, what ultimately happens is, is that sometimes we get a self-centered faith that receives a temporary reward. That's number one in our outline, remember? A self-centered faith that receives a temporary reward. People can see you as religious when you don't rightly know God as Father. And that's his caution, right? Is don't have people see you as religious, rightly know God as Father. And there's an unmistakable difference between righteousness for the sake of self-praise to look religious in front of other people and righteousness that causes others to praise God. And the difference is the motivation of the heart. So again, Jesus says you'll receive no reward. We're going to get to that. No reward from your Father in heaven. Now, we don't often talk about reward in heaven. I'll address that just a, a little bit, but the, the reward that comes from the Father is an eternal reward, right? That neither moth nor rust can destroy or thieves break in and steal. Matthew 6, 19, we're not far from getting to that passage. So those not receiving a reward from the Father, right, they get a temporal reward of praise. So here's the deal. You can come to church at Moody Church, and you can look really nice and shiny and clean. You can clean up well to come to church, you can look religious in front of other people, and you will ultimately get your reward for religious practice without knowing your heavenly Father. And this is the heart that God desires something else. Now, again, this is kind of a consistent theme. Jesus is not gentle with hypocrites. I want you not to miss this. Jesus is not gentle with hypocrites. Look at this in Luke 6, 42. He puts it this way. He says, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? So Jesus is consistently hard on hypocritical religious people. So sometimes people come up to me and say, Ed, why are you hard on hypocritical religious people? I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Now, mind you, I know that I have a tendency, particularly one who's in, if you will, professional religious work, to sometimes look more godly than I am. So don't miss this. The reality is, for me, I'm challenged by these things. The word hypocrite in the original language is commonly known as uh, an actor, right? A hypocrite's kind of a, a, kind of a, a mask that an actor would wear. And uh, what would happen is, is sometimes one person would play more than one character in a play. And so that actor, they were all men at that time. Men played both the men and the women's parts. And they would take a mask and they just put a mask on. It's okay, I'm now this person. And they'd put the mask down and then they'd pick up another one and say, I'm now this person. And that's how the play might go. So a hypocrite is one who puts on different masks. So let me not, 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 not mince words here, right? So if you look 
really godly at church on Sunday and you look really worldly at work on Monday, you're a hypocrite. And so am I. Now, for me, let's take a little step further. You know, I work at a Christian college, and so Wheaton College where I serve as a professor, right? So if I'm really look godly at Moody Church and I look godly at the Billy Graham Center, Wheaton College, and then I go home and I don't live godly, then I'm a hypocrite. I literally leave my place of work, or maybe like you, I go home for church on Sunday. I start walking over. I go over to, to ultimately to, to, the, to the parking garage a block away, and by then I'm mad and grumpy, and then I switch my mask, and I'm the real person. Don't, don't do that because that's a description of what Jesus is talking about. Self-centered faith receives a temporary reward. And when you pray, he says, now again, this is, remember, this isn't a bigger section that talks about almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. When you pray, you must not like, be like the hypocrites. Now, why does that matter? Why do we do that? See, when we fake an act, which is what hypocrisy is, when we fake an act, right, we, we're really broken people trying to act like we're whole. And the heart of this self-centered, righteous activity is that it points people to our goodness rather than Jesus' goodness, and we all do this to one level or another. When we compare ourselves to others, when we work to show our goodness to others, when we viciously avoid any impression that we are wrong, when we blame a spouse, a family member, a child, a parent, a co-worker for mistakes instead of seeing our own, when we can't say we're sorry, this is the fakeness and the acting, and that's hypocrisy. So honesty is saying, you know, I, I kind of struggle with some stuff, and I do. But we want to look really nice on the outside while something's being spiritually dead on the inside. Jesus had a very unique phrase to describe that. In Matthew 23, it says this in verse 27, woe to you, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So this is ultimately what a hypocrite looks like, right? So gets cleaned up for Moody Church on Sunday, or if I can make it personal, for the Billy Graham Center on Monday, but inside is not dealt with the sin or the struggle or the reality, looks religious, doesn't have a relationship with the Father. Your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. In a lot of different ways. Let's go through them. First, in worship, it'll impact in worship. This is what they said, right? For how they love to stand and pray in the synagogue. So this is the church expression, right? Maybe, maybe you're in a TMC community and you're really making sure that people think you're godly, and then maybe it's a farce. It's a mask. It's tempting to serve in church and, and kind of over time build up. Here's the thing. It's very easy to kind of learn how a church looks godly. It's funny because I, 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 uh, I have the privilege of preaching in a lot of different churches. And um, it's funny sort of you can tell. They all kind of have a vibe and a feel that's sometimes different. Right? Sometimes, like, like Moody Church, there's uh, a few of us who are kind of hand raisers. So, and... Um, no one asks you to leave. I do it. It's all good. It's from the Bible. It's all good. But then you go to some churches, and they're kind of one-arm hand raisers. Maybe you've seen the one-arm hand raisers, right? And the whole church does. You can actually look sometimes, and you can see it. And the reason you can see it is because the pastor is a one-arm hand raiser. So kind of what it does is it creates a culture, and people say, I want to be like that. I want to make sure that people see that I am like others. 
And the danger of that is that worship then becomes an opportunity to, to show. Matthew 23, 23 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier things of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Consistently firm on hypocrisy. Then Jesus talks about those who like to do it in public. And at the street corners, he says next, not just at the streets, but at the street corners so you get the most people can see you. Self-focused prayer activity. Oh, Lord, look at me. Again, Matthew 23, verse 15 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the land to make a single proselyte, and he becomes a proselyte, and you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So it's talked about in worship, it's talked about in public, but you know what it really boils down to is what's in the heart. So look at this, why? So that they may be seen by others. So it's the desire to be seen by others that Jesus is critiquing, for it's a hypocritical impulse where you put on a religious mask and don't just think ill of the Pharisees, search your own heart to see the tendency that you and I have as well. It's easy to talk about the Pharisees, it's harder to actually acknowledge sometimes we are one. And your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. Now, why? Because ultimately, they, I mean, again, look at, these, look, at the, look at how strong Jesus is on these things. Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may so also may be clean. I don't want you to miss this, right? Mark 7, 6, and when he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Over and over again, Jesus warns us of hypocrisy. Now, why? Was it because of a specific religious sect in Judaism called the Pharisees? No. It's so that 2,000 years later, devoutly religious people like you and me could look at this and say, hey, this isn't just about them. It's sometimes about us. And your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. And they had built up a series of rules and more, and so they would follow those rules. And ultimately, what does Jesus say? They have received their reward. But it doesn't end there. Number two, self-centered faith distorts your view of God. I mean, listen to what he goes on to say. He says, and when you pray, uh, do not heap up empty phrases, right? Do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And you see, your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. And if you think God is this distant deity who is con conjured up by many words, then you will pray many words, wrote repetition over and over and over again. Now, this is really essential that we don't look religious, but we actually love the Father. Now, again, I, I, it says this, when you pray, don't heap empty phrases. They'll think they'll be heard by their many words. Now, I want you not to miss this because people around the world and religions around the world think that if they just pray and say the same thing over and over and over and over and over, that somehow God will hear them. But it's not what you do. It's who your Father is that matters when it comes to prayer. It's not what you do, it's who your Father is that matters most when it comes to prayer. You see, the reality is part of what prayer is has to acknowledge that you have a Father that loves you deeply. Now, I'm not saying that praying prayers or praying a prayer over is necessarily a bad or a sinful thing. I've been reading recently through um, 
uh, through, through a collection of Puritan prayers called the Valley of Vision and a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. I'm not saying those are bad things ultimately to do or any of those things, but, but what I am saying is, is that what Jesus is pointing to most clearly is that self-centered faith, if I have to do things, ultimately distorts our view of God. Now, why does that matter? Well, because here's the thing I don't want you to miss, right? This is so key, right? Jesus is laying out so clearly. Um, there's a beauty in not trying to put a mask on before God and others. That's the beauty of it. I want to jump ahead to number three because our time's short, and we'll look here at number three. Father-focused faith receives a lasting reward, right? Don't miss this, right? So here's the alternative to that, right? It says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father. Now we start hearing about the Father in secret, who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen to those words, your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Later it's your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now I want you not to miss this. Um, I'm going to go a little nerd-ish for just a moment. Part of my PhD work was in anthropology. And one of the things you learn in anthropology is that every religion in the world, I'm just going to be, every culture in the world has religion. Cultures create religion. And those religions tend to have a lot of things in common. Now, stay with me, and trust me, you've known me long enough to know I'm going somewhere with this. But cultures create religion. Those religions tend to have a couple things in common, right? They're almost universal, two things about the religions that cultures create, that men and women create. First, they create a priest to outsource their religious obligation, and then they create rituals to ceremonialize their religious devotion. So in other words, all cultures create religions. All religions have some sort of religious leader whose job it is to sort of do what the people don't do, and then some sort of ritual so they can get it over with and keep the gods or the universe or God happy or whatever else it was. So Jesus, because Christianity is not a man-made cultural religion, right? So because Jesus then points to something different. It's not about you getting some religious figure to do your work for you, and it's not about you having some sort of ritual to keep the gods happy. Here's what it is. You have a Father who loves you, who wants to meet you in your prayer time, in your prayer closet, because of His love for you, and He's not a distant deity. He's a loving Father. You see how that changes the whole scenario? It's not, let me get the priest to go before the gods so that I won't be in trouble. It's not, let me sacrifice these things or, or do these incantations so the gods won't be mad. See, father-focused faith receives a, a lasting reward because it's rightfully, it's rightfully focused. But the natural human inclination is that we will actually move towards a deeper and deeper sense of how we move away from God, Right? Uh, when I grew up, um, I mean, we did, I said I grew up Catholic, but we weren't particularly devout. We were Christmas and Easter Catholics. We were Christers and um, didn't know there were any flowers in the church other than Easter lilies and poinsettias. Um, and so, but I remember the church I went to, it was St. Bernard's. And I don't remember which, there's a lot of St. Bernard's or Bernard's, and I actually thought it was the dog for the longest time. And then I found out there was actually a saint. I didn't know the dog was named after the saint, but uh, I thought it was cool. You know, who don't go to church named after a dog? That'd be awesome. Um, um, but I remember, and, I'm, and this, is not how, this is not how people in that tradition would describe it, but I remember me as an eight-year-old kid thinking, okay, I'm going to pray to St. Bernard who can pray to Mary, who can pray to Jesus, who can pray 
to the Father. Now, 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 I don't want you to miss that. Again, and that would not be how uh, theologically informed Catholics would hold that to be, right? But, but to me, as a seven-year-old, I just knew that God was so far away. I knew there was a God. I just couldn't know Him. I knew He wrote a book. I just couldn't understand it. But if I could talk to St. Bernard, who talked to Mary, who talked to Jesus, who talked to God, then maybe, just maybe, my, my, my sorrowful, pitiful self could get a message to God. And then I realized when I became a follower of Jesus that that's not how it works. You see, didn't have to come up. we don't have to crawl up steps on our knees to show God that we're serious. We don't have to flail myself in self-flagellation to show we're serious. We don't need to count how many times I've said a prayer. We don't need to pray this way or God will be mad at us. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to just see our good, good Father and spend time with Him. So see God as your father, as your loving parent. He doesn't dole out discipline like an angry dad, but gives you what you need to love him. Now, for some of you, that's hard. You didn't have a good father. I didn't have a good father. Just honest, I didn't have a good father growing up. I have a good father now, and he's a great grandfather, but alcohol wrecked his life. He's an alcoholic. And later he would sober up, but I didn't have a good… My dad was a drunk when I was a kid. His words, not mine. He gives me permission to share that. So I didn't have any example. (laughs) So I really struggled when I became a Christian. What does it mean to have a good father? Now, again, I know this is going to be strange, but I'm just going to tell you what happened for me is I had one example I looked to as a father. This, this was him right here. His name is Ward Cleaver. Now, some of you don't know who that is. Um, and the television show was made and quit airing before I was born. But I remember watching as a kid that, that this is a show called Leave It to Beaver. And I didn't really relate to either of the boys. I related to another character called Eddie Haskell, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> but, I, but I remember that, that Ward Cleaver would come home and he would be a loving father. And when he'd come home, he'd welcome his sons into his arms. And I didn't have any concept of a father that was like that, so I couldn't have a concept of a God that was like that. I know for some of you, you're going to be bothered because this is like this idealistic view of television in the 60s, and I'm getting that. And, I, and let me just say I get that, that I don't expect uh, all of you to wear pearls and when your husband comes home to serve <laughs> dinner or anything of that sort. Don't, don't add all this stuff in there that I'm not saying. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. I didn't have a view of a father, and what happened was this guy named Hugh Beaumont became the view of a father to me, and I said, that's what a good father looks like, but God is a good, good father. And it changed my understanding of prayer. It changed my… See, it's not what you do, but who your father is that matters. By the way, that's why you heard Bill talk about this desire for, these, for us to share the gospel with others, these evangelism opportunities, these, these places to write on these boards, and they're out in the hallways to you to say, I'm praying so they might know a good, good father. Now, I didn't know a good father, so I had to learn what a good father looked like, and I'm praying today, I'm, like, I'm praying I am a good father. I make my kids sing to me, you're a good, good father. <laughs> that's who you are. That's who you are. I pay them, but they do. I mean, I can get them to do it with enough money. You're a good, good father. See, but when I understood that God was a good father, I didn't need to impress him with my words or my prayers. I didn't need to babble on to work him into my presence. I didn't need to, I just needed to come to him in prayer because he's a good, good father. Your view of God as father will shape as you go to him in prayer. And number four, father-focused faith is a dependent faith. See, don't miss that. 
your view of God as Father will shape how you go to Him in prayer. Now, this is not everything that the Bible teaches about prayer, but I told you I reworked my message. Here's why. Because of this. Because of your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you, and your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. See, what happens is your hypocritical religious mask is to make you look godly. When you love your Father, He actually grows, shapes, and changes you so you are godly. Now, don't, don't miss this, because i got to tell you, for me and my struggle, um, you know, I mean, again, I just kind of revealed to you some of my struggles with not having a father in my life as a young man, and now with the father, being the father of three daughters and trying to be that, because here's the deal, dads, I want you not to miss this. For many of our kids, the perception of what God is like will be what we are like, just better and much, much better. You see, we want to have a good father, but our father in heaven is a good, good father. Now, I don't want you to miss this, and I don't want you to miss the depth of what's going on here. Because what Jesus is doing is he's saying to them, he's contrasting quite beautifully, right, that your view of God, now if you view God as this religious keeper, this this uh, universe judge who, and again, there's certainly attributes of God. God. God does judge, and God is holy, and God is perfect, and God is righteous. But Jesus is using words of an intimate relationship, telling us you don't need to go through St. Bernard, to the Virgin Mary, to Jesus, to God. He's saying you don't need to say prayers over and over again, and you need to take down that stupid mask and quit trying to be religious and just come to your Father who's in secret, who'll reward you in secret. So I got this message first when I was, I don't even know, maybe 14. I was a relatively new believer, and I lived in a home. By then, we lived outside of Orlando, Florida, and, and I read this verse, and I said, I need a prayer closet. Now, I, we lived in a little house on stilts without air conditioning in Orlando. We didn't have walk-in closets. But I looked at this verse, and I said, you know what? I love Jesus. I'm going to do what He says. I'm going to get in a closet. And so we had one of those closets that's sort of the bifold door, and then there were just room for the clothes, but I found out that if I took my little chair and I pushed aside my shirts on one side and my pants on another side, and I put that chair and I couldn't close the door behind me because it wasn't enough, but nothing would distract me, and I wrote on the wall the things I wanted to bring to my good, good father. And I met him in secret. And it began a pattern in my life that changed my life. It helped me put down the mask and to love the father who loved me first. See, in Matthew 6, 11, Jesus says this. It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? You see, get in that prayer closet, put down the mask at church, and pick up that prayer closet. Pick up that relationship with a, with a good, good Father. For your view of God as Father will shape how you go to God in prayer. I want you to know, I know this is a hard thing for a lot of you because it was a hard thing for me. But I just had a father who was a drunk. Later he became a good, he's a good father today. He doesn't like it when I say that because he says, it wasn't a good father when you needed me. And I said, but you're a good father today and you're a good grandfather today too. But the reality is, is that for some of us, we've had those seasons and times when we had really terrible fathers. And so we don't even know what a good father is. But I want you to know and come into the presence of a good, good Father. Because when you know Him, He rewards you and meets you in secret.
He brings you on that journey of growth and of godliness. So my encouragement to you is quite simple. Put down the religious mask that long-term religious participation creates. And let's come before Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know him, I want to invite you to trust and follow him as Lord and Savior, to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. Or if you're just tired of wearing that mask, put it down. Right now, right here, go into your closet of your heart and say, you are indeed a good, good father. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that as Jesus teaches these words, it speaks to many of us at the core of who we are. For you indeed, Lord, are a good, good father. That's just who you are. Lord, some of us are tempted to put on a mask and look religious at church or our TMC community, even around work where we're known as that religious person. But Father, inside that whitewashed tombs for many are just dead bones. Father, I pray you'd bring us into our prayer closets so we might pray to our Father in this who is in secret and he might reward us for you indeed are a good, good Father. Just in the same spirit of prayer right now, would you stand to your feet with me? Let's stand together. Father, as we stand, we do acknowledge in prayer through song today. Father, we know we can do that. Let me just say to all of us here, as you're standing in that same spirit of prayer, you can actually pray this song if you'll make it the prayer of your heart. I don't know about you, but I need to cry it out sometimes, right? I need to say to Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I need to say to the Father, you're a good, good Father. And in doing so, I feel the welcome and the draw to know him, to praise him, to pray to him, to go into my prayer closet and to praise him in public because the motivations of my heart are made right. Put down the mask. Your view of God as Father will impact how you go to him in prayer. Father, you're a good, good Father. That's who you are. We come to you now. This song is not just a song we'll sing, but it's a prayer that we will pray as we give you the glory. Would you sing it with us and make it the prayer of your heart?